Good morning. Dave said it was a heat wave, so I wore a t-shirt. And I was anticipating a baptism service uh, in the next service. And uh, I always think about that when I'm getting dressed. Long sleeves, I'm going to get wet. So today's t-shirt day. And so I'm glad you're here. You know what I love? <clears throat> I love when I get to be out in the community. Uh, I had three funeral services this week. And in the context of just sharing God's word and in a funeral service, people will inevitably will come up at the end and say, so where do you pastor at? Where's your church at? And when I get to tell them I'm pastoring Canyon at Living Water, and they say, man, I've heard so many good things about that church. That blesses me as a pastor. I'm just thankful to be a part of it. Amen? Hopefully you see how special it is as well. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, we began a series last week called Encounters with Jesus. And we're just going to look at a few of the encounters that Jesus had. He had many different encounters with all walks of life, and he impacted a lot of people with those encounters. Um, we kicked it off last week. The, the title of the message this morning is Community Matters. Community Matters. And so before we go any further, can we just pray before we jump into the text today? Father, again, we come before you. Um, I humble myself before you. Lord, I know that I don't have it all figured out, but I thank you, God, that you've called me and that you use us that are willing to be used uh, for your glory. I pray that you would open our eyes to your text today, what you might want to share with us. God, that we would make ourselves available for what you might want to accomplish in our lives. God, we humble ourselves and we thank you for all that you do. And God, we ask that you be glorified in, it. in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start off this morning with a question. How many of you would admit that you have friends in your life that are a bad influence on you. Anybody want to admit that? Anybody want to admit that they're in church with you today? No, don't do that. Don't do that. That wouldn't be. Throw them under the bus right at the very beginning. The reality is, is there are those friends that we hang out with that, that bring out the best in us, and there are those that kind of bring out the worst in us. And uh, to be honest with you, I was the kid. I wasn't a bad kid, but I was ornery. And I was a prankster, and I was always the guy that said, you know, it'd be fun. And it usually resulted in a police officer writing me a ticket or getting reprimanded by a principal, a teacher, a parent. Or, you know, we got in a little bit of trouble when I was young. And I won't give you any details because the last time I did that, there's a young man in this church that he don't remember anything else I preached that day, but he will verbatim repeat to you the story that I shared. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. If he goes out and repeats that, that's on me, Right. But the reality was, I was probably that kid uh, that influenced others back in the day. Like I said, not a bad kid, but just a little bit on the ornery side. And I heard this quote years ago, and I was reminded of it this week, that I think is just spot on. Andy Stanley says this, your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. That's an accurate quote, isn't it? Your friends will determine the quality of your life how it's lived out, and they will determine the direction of your life. The reality is there are things that we would never do on our own, right? Not a million years, but we get around those specific people, those friends, and we get a little braver. Or we you know, let down our guard, and we will do things that we probably would never do outside of the context of the friends. Your, your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life, which is why, as parents, don't we always worry when our kids bring home that new friend? I remember when the kids were little, and they're like, I met a new friend today. And you're like, oh, that's great. You need to make friends. And they want to do a sleepover, or they want to do a play date. And as a parent, you're concerned because you're like, man, I just want to make sure that the friends that come into my kids' lives are going to draw them closer, are going to reaffirm the principles, the values that I have tried to instill in them. 
I hope that they don't meet friends that are going to draw them away or push them away from the foundation. Again, the values that we as parents try to instill in them. I think every parent probably has thought about that or processed that at one point or another in life. We're concerned about the friends that our kids hang around. Well, in the context of friends, there's this, this community. Now, Community matters is the title of the message, and to use the word community, I want to give you Webster's uh, definition of the word community. It says, a social group of any size whose members reside in a specific locality, share government, and often have a common cultural and historical heritage. We live in the community of Canyon, and I would say it's a great community, wouldn't you? I mean, it's not without its, its issues, but it's a great community. Um, I have lived in different places, and I just there's something special about the community of Canyon. Every once in a while, you'll see somebody post online, I just love our community. People are just willing to pull over to the side of the road and help somebody out, buy groceries at a grocery store. This is a special community that we live in. Agreed? But I want to funnel it down just a little bit and specifically speak for a moment of the Christian community, the churches. Met a young lady this morning at the coffee shop. She said, is there not just one church in Canyon? I'm like, you've obviously not been to Canyon, Texas, right? There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of Christian community in the church where we do life together. We worship God. We gather together on a Sunday morning, hopefully with the intent of worshiping God, hearing from God's word, and doing fellowship with one another. It's community. Amen? And I would say community matters. Now, as you consider that for a moment, let me just kind of give us the starting point. Go back to the book of Acts before we go into Mark. The book of Acts, chapter 2, it says that when people begin to believe in the gospel, when they begin to place their faith in the gospel, the believers, that's what they were called, formed a, what's the word? Come on, if you're not listening, you need to be paying attention, a community, right? So they formed this community. And here's what it looked like. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, Not just on Sunday, but each day they worshiped together. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, to this community, those who were being saved. That's how the church began. That's a special community, wasn't it? A special community of believers. I have to ask the question, how are we doing? 2,000 years removed, what does the church look like? Now, I love living water, but I go back to the beginning days of even living water, and it was much smaller than it is today. We've enjoyed 20 years of growth here, and I love, I love, love, love what God has done. But I go back in my mind of the beginnings of living water and how small it was. Everybody knew everyone. We hung out together. We did life together. One of the things that we did to make sure that we kept this this community feel was we did breakfast fellowship for several years. And it's amazing the relationships that were developed around a breakfast table. It was so much more than just showing up on Sunday morning, shaking a hand, how you doing, how you doing, good, see you next week. But we spent a little time around a meal and we fellowshiped. And we got to know people in some of the deepest relationships 
that I have in this church today, I can take back to those moments around a breakfast table. It was good times. Well, the church outgrew that, and we had to change things up, and I wish we could bring it back. It was a really cool um, time and season, but it developed a sense of community. It developed a sense of relationships that you kind of miss out as the church gets bigger. And one of my concerns as a pastor is as the church gets larger, you got to work harder to keep the community. Because it's easy to go into a church that's a little larger, right, and lose a connection. Just kind of melt in the crowd. But that community is so vital and so important to the health of the church. And I would say that community matters. Now, bring that up because the story we want to look at today is about a man who desperately needed an encounter with Jesus. He was paralyzed. He was unable to meet Jesus on his own. And the first half of that story focuses primarily on the community that's around him and how they brought him to Jesus. And I just, I know that it's not always the case. Sometimes an individual would go to Jesus on their own free will and ability, and sometimes Jesus would approach them. But in this case, this man's encounter depended 100% on four men who were willing to step up and be community to him and bring him to Jesus. The story's in Mark chapter 2. And just a little background, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's cast out a demon. He's healed a leper. Jesus says his name is getting out there and everybody's intrigued. He is now centered in the northwest portion of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum. This is like the epicenter of all of his teaching, his ministries, and most of his miracles. So Jesus would leave Capernaum, and many believe that he stayed in the apostle Peter's house when he was at Capernaum. So he's in Peter's house at Capernaum, and they would go out, and Jesus, Mark is real careful to make sure that we know that the focus was not on the miracles, but in Jesus' ministry, the focus is on telling people the good news. So Jesus is preaching. He's preaching the good news, and in the context of that, he's healing people, right? So now chapter 2 opens up when Jesus and his guys returned to Capernaum. It says, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. He's in his home territory, home base, if you will. Verse 2, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room. And he goes on to make sure we understand that it was so packed, there was no room in the house. But it says, it was, there was no room even outside the door. So I want you to know there were a lot of people there that day. It was packed, and Jesus was preaching to a packed house. Now it says, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. I wanted so bad to get a mat at Walmart and have four guys carry me in today, just as a visual, because I think it would be a powerful reminder, especially if you're the four guys carrying my heavy self. You'd be like, dude, that was a workout. Mm -hmm. I want us to feel that and to see that, the significance of what these men did. And so They show up, and Jesus is preaching to a packed audience in the house, no room outside the house. They show up with their friend. There's no room. And so we might look at them and say, hey, man, we we tried. He he might look at the friend and go, man, we did all we could. We tried. Let's maybe another day. Maybe Jesus will find us. No, no, no. I think this is something that we kind of brush over the significance of this. It says they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they, listen to this, dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, I don't want to minimize that because the roofs that we have here today, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but first century in Israel, the roofs were like just every house had this flat roof, at least part of it had a flat roof. And it was like their porch or their deck. And they all had stairs that went up to it or they had a ladder that went up to it. In fact, Peter, when he was praying, he had the vision, the sheet that came down. He was on the roof praying when that happened. 
And so whether this was Peter's house, I don't know, but it had this flat roof, and the roofs in those days were made up, like they had the main beams, and they had like palm branches and just straw and anything they could mixed with mud, it would form a hard clay surface, which was the roof. So now get the picture here. Jesus is in a packed house. The roof, everything's normal. And while Jesus is preaching, there's some noise on the roof. And I'm assuming Jesus is like, for a second, what's that? It's a distraction, right? Everybody in there is listening to Jesus, and they hear something on the roof. And then stuff starts to fall from the roof. And maybe it's hitting you in the head, and you're like, what's the deal, man? And then you look up and you see daylight. You're like, I don't think, will State Farm cover that, Kenny? I don't know. So you see this hole in the roof, right? And the hole just continues to get bigger and bigger. And I'm just imagining for a moment the people in the room who are looking at Jesus, who's teaching the word that are completely, all eyes are on this, what's going on on the roof above. So these four men are digging this hole in the roof, and it says they lowered the man. Can you imagine the tense, the, the, the tension? Can you imagine what the man on the mat was thinking? This is awkward. (laughs) And apparently they did a good job at judging where Jesus was at because it says they lowered him right in front of Jesus. Like mm, 20 feet in to the left. That works. Let's dig a hole there. And so they lower this man down and he's right down in front of Jesus. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment because there's a few observations that we need to understand. So this man is paralyzed. We don't know if he was completely paralyzed. We know he's immobile. He was a paralyzed man, and he was on a mat. But he wasn't just carried on a mat. I want you to know that that mat represented his life. He lived on that mat. His life was reduced to probably a three-by-six sleeping mat. That was his reality every day. He relied on people to get him where he needed to go. He probably couldn't dress himself. He probably couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. We don't know how bad it was, but can you just feel the tension that that man must have dealt with for many, many years, living on a mat? Here's the reality. For some, they believed in those days that if someone was stricken with a disease, or in this case as a a paralytic, that it was a direct result of their sin. And so their idea was, well, that person is crippled because he, he's probably offended God in some way, and that's just the consequences of offending a holy God, and so he had it coming. And so many people might look at him and say, I don't know why he's there, but it's obviously because he sinned, and they would avoid him, not like a leper because they were worried about catching it, but probably because he's not the kind of friend you want to you be with, right? They avoided him. They would walk around him, and that was his life. I couldn't imagine being 100% dependent upon other people. But apparently, he had four friends. Now, I don't know if they were friends. It doesn't say they were friends. They might have just been passers-by. But here's my definition of a friend. A friend that will go to that length to get me in front of Jesus, I'm calling them a friend. Amen? I mean, persistence, the willingness to carry this man. We don't know how far they carried him. To not be deterred by the crowded room or the people like, hey, sorry, there's no room, we can't do it. No, no, no. I got an idea. Let's take the roof off. That's a friend. And so this man had four friends. And so I want to share these observations with you quickly as it relates to that community of friends, that circle, those people that are in your circle. In community, we carry each other's mat. In community, we carry each other's mat. And here's the truth. Everyone has a mat. Every one of us have a mat. 
For this man, it was a literal mat. He was reduced to that mat. It was a reminder of his brokenness. It represented all that was wrong with life. He was reduced to that. And don't you know the same thing is true with each one of us? We all have an area of brokenness. We have these areas of brokenness, these reminders of our own struggles and brokenness. And maybe it's an excessive fear. Maybe it's an addiction to something. Maybe it's money problems. Maybe it's relationship problems. But the reality is we all have these areas of brokenness. And here's what I know from experience that I've struggled with. Is my thought is if people see the real me, if people see my area of brokenness, or me and my buddy called it the big ugly, if they saw the big ugly in me, it would probably push them away. Therefore, I'm just going to put on a mask. I'm not going to let them see the things that I struggle with. Here's the newsflash for everyone. All of us struggle with something. Amen? And so here's a, a question for you and I to consider. Am I available for a kind of friendship that will allow others to see the brokenness and the tough stuff in my life? And, and as we come into the context of community and church, I love it when I see relationships that are developed where you can just be the real you and you can let your guard down, be a little vulnerable and say, hey, listen, here's something that I'm struggling with. Would you pray for me? I love that. Because like we're making ourselves available to be that kind of friend where others are, are allowed to peek in and see the real me, all of me. So the question is, am I available? Are you available for that kind of friendship? It's risky. It's sometimes scary because I'm afraid they'll push me away. They won't like me. But are we available in the right context to allow people into our lives? I would say it's important. Here's another question for us to consider. Whose mat are you carrying? Whose mat are you carrying? The reality is somebody else's miracle may be on the other side of our willingness to pick up a mat. And I would say this, that most of us in this room are probably here because somebody picked up a corner of our mat. For me, it's my wife. She's a big part of that. She's picked up a big corner of my mat in my life early on. She's helped carry me along closer to Jesus. I've had mentors. I've had other pastors and friends. But the question is, whose mat am I carrying? Am I willing to pick up the mat in somebody else's life? As I said, a lot of us are here because someone picked up the corner of our mat. So in community, we carry each other's mats. Here's another observation. In community, we do the hard work. Now, consider for a moment how much work this was. As I mentioned, I would like to have been carried in on a mat because I think that the four men that would have carried me in would have been like, dude, that was just from the back of the church. We don't know how far this dude was carried on his mat. If Jesus was at Peter's house, was it just the house next door? Was it the city gate? Was it halfway across town? We don't know. We just know these four men committed to picking up the mat and carrying this dead weight to wherever Jesus was at. And once they got there, I'm sure fatigue sets in, and then and they see they get discouraged because the house is full, and they might be tempted to say, dude, we've done what we can. I don't know that we can do anything else. Maybe we'll try again, and, and maybe somebody else is there. Like, I'm not giving up my spot. I've got a perfect line of sight with Jesus, and I ain't giving up my spot. And so not being deterred, they were willing to do the hard work of going up a ladder. Now, I don't know how hard it would be to carry a man on a mat up a ladder, but I would assume it would be a little difficult, wouldn't it? So these men carry this man up on the roof, and they begin the process of digging through the roof to lower him to Jesus. I love that. These friends had that whatever-it-takes attitude. I'll do whatever I can to get you in front of Jesus. And so that would lead me to my third observation. In community, we bring others closer to Jesus. Um, we should always consider that, that our community and the relationships we have with other people should draw us, and we should draw others closer to 
Jesus. And I want you to consider for a moment, think about your circle of friends, your influence, the people that you're closest to, your community, and and consider this quote that I found. It says, good friends will bring you closer to Jesus. Best friends break through any barrier, any crowd, and any roof to drop you right at his feet. That's the kind of friend I want. That's a good friend, amen? All right, so are you with me so far? So the first half of the story is focused on this man's condition, his friend's willingness to bring him and do whatever it takes to put him at the feet of Jesus. And now we see Jesus sees something and he says something. And this is where the shift kind of moves toward the focus on on Jesus. And so verse 5, it says, seeing their faith. Now, some scholars believe uh, this doesn't talk about the man on the mat. He's just simply seeing the faith of the four friends. I don't know that we can agree on that or there's anything that definitively tells us that. I have a feeling that Jesus saw all of their faith. And what is faith? That brings up a good question. How do you see faith? How do we see faith? James kind of helps us know that it's action. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if we say we have faith, but we don't show it by our actions? He would go on to say, faith without works is dead. So how I many you can see faith, right? We have this faith, but the way they demonstrated that faith, Jesus sees their faith. What does he see? He sees their confidence, that they're absolutely confident if I could just get my friend in front of Jesus, Jesus is going to take over and he's going to leave differently than he came in. That's confidence. Seeing their faith, seeing maybe his faith, I just need an encounter with Jesus. Seeing their faith, he says to the man, you're no longer plagued with this paralytic condition. Get up and walk. No, he doesn't say that. And I think this would be kind of a shock to those friends that did so much work to get him there, he looks at them and he says he sees their faith and he says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, just for a moment, imagine you're on the roof and you're the friends that worked really hard to get your friend to Jesus. Excuse me, Jesus. That's cool and all, but we brought him here because he can't walk. He needs healing. We need you to heal our friend. That's what it's obvious. That's the felt need. This man desperately needs healing. And that's what we brought him here. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? Jesus is pointing out the greatest condition of all mankind. Far beyond our felt needs, what we think we need. He's looking at mankind and said, the, 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 the biggest need that every one of us have in our life is to be made right with God the Father. And he says, listen, I see your faith. My son, your sins are forgiven. So he says this, and of course now there's some more people in the crowd, and there's a problem. So some of the teachers of the religious law, verse 6, were sitting there, and they thought to themselves. They didn't speak it out. They thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And they were not wrong. Because all throughout the Old Testament, they understood that God was the only one that can can forgive the sins. And now Jesus, this man, this miracle worker that they're still getting to know, is telling this man, your sins are forgiven. That's blasphemy. And in their day, there were like three different areas of blasphemy. If you blasphemed the law of God, then you could get in trouble for that. And this is where um, I think Paul was accused of that. Stephen, that was the first martyr in the faith, was accused of blaspheming the word or the laws of God. 
And then there's blasphemy against like cursing God or taking his name and using it in a bad way. Like cursing God to call curses down. That one was worthy of being stoned to death. It came with the death penalty. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Even more than that one, the most egregious like offense when it comes to blasphemy would be to claim divine authority. To be, to be able to claim that you, like God, can do only what God can do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And this would be the accusation that they would use against Jesus at the end of his life to put him to death. Blasphemy. So Jesus tells this man, in their eyes, it's blasphemy, but he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And listen to this, verse 8, Jesus knew immediately. See, they didn't say it, but they thought it. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? And he says, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I would suggest that it would be easier to say, you know what, your sins are forgiven. Because you can't validate that. There's no way of proving that immediately. Well, how do you know that, it, that it's happened? And so it would be easier in one sense to just say, son, your sins are forgiven. Because if you say you're healed and he doesn't get healed, then you're found out and you're, you're considered a fraud. And so in one sense, it'd be easier just to say your sins are forgiven. But from the context of what they're dealing with in this blasphemy, it's a pretty serious charge to say that. And so I would think it'd be easier to say, take up your mat and walk. And then risk it, right? It doesn't happen. And the worst thing is like, yeah, you call yourself a healer. It didn't happen. And so Jesus says, what's easier to do? To say somebody your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up, take up your mat and walk? And listen to this. He said, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man, a title that Jesus would use for himself many times, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. The authority that only goes to God, the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, I want you to consider for a moment this man <clears throat> living on a mat in that condition for a long time. It probably wasn't going to be, in their mind's eye, an easy thing to do because atrophy sets in and this man's not used some of his limbs for years and so Jesus' command to stand up and to pick up your mat and go home, there had to be an exercise of faith on the man's part to stand up, to roll up his mat, and to begin the process of going home. And that's precisely what he did. And I can imagine what the whole room was seeing in this moment. They're like dumbfounded, amazed, overwhelmed. Like, did you just see that? Did you just see what happened to the man that came in on the mat? He's now walking. And so it says, the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned, I bet they were, stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. A man desperately needs an encounter with Jesus. And if it weren't for these four friends, he might not have had this encounter. Maybe Jesus would have ran into him later, right? Maybe another time, another place. But in the context of this story, I want us to see just how important this man's community was to him in that moment. Because without those four friends that were willing to go the extra mile, the whatever it takes mentality, to dig a hole in a roof, to put this man in the presence of Jesus, this man would not have had an encounter with Jesus. Friends, are you seeing the, the weight of what I'm sharing, like how important our community is to us? the people that we surround ourselves with. When life goes crazy and life goes crazy, I love. And I had this conversation with family, blood family, this week at a funeral. Like, man, I've got my family that are scattered all over the place. Some of them I know, some I don't know. 
But my family is at Living Water Christian Fellowship. And when the going gets tough, I've got people that are like family to me that are going to circle the wagons and they're going to come to my aid. And I, I cherish that. I believe it is extremely important for us to have that kind of a circle, that kind of community in our lives. Amen? Community matters. So here's a question. Where do you fit in the story? I always like to consider that as we're reading these narratives. Where do we fit in the story? Let me just tell you, you can't be Jesus. He's already taken. There's only one Jesus. You can't be him in the story. But where do you fit in the story? Are you like the paralyzed man? And he's like, Shane, I've got an area of brokenness in my life, and I desperately need an encounter with Jesus. Are you like the man who's, who's paralyzed? You're like, I just need an encounter with Jesus. Can I encourage you to reach out? Can I encourage you to make yourself vulnerable and to say, you know what, I'm willing to risk it in order to build community, to put myself around people who love me enough to put in the work, to do whatever it takes to always bring me in the presence of Jesus through prayer, through encouragement. You know one of the things that blesses me um, in this church, uh, you know, you, you can be here for years and not know anybody. You, you, and that's not what blesses me. That's, that's the, the truth. You can be in church for a long time and really not know someone. You can recognize them. But I've also seen, I was talking to David before the service, Jim Frazier and Elizabeth. This is, they've already moved back to the Phoenix area. But when he first came to town, it was a Monday. I was over at the well doing some work on some electrical. I was ball cap, T-shirt, just, you know, doing my thing. And he walks into the door and he says, are you the pastor? And I'm like, yeah, I'm the pastor. And he's like, my name is Jim Frazier. We're new to town. I just want to come introduce myself to you. That was so powerful to me. Because we'll see you on Sunday at church. Guess what happened? Out of 400, 500 people, Jim Frazier walks to the door. I know him. And we begin to have these conversations, build a beautiful relationship together. It's one of my close friends to this day, and he's moved off. There's power in community, amen? Or somebody else moves from out of town. They come to church, and they're just a face, a new name that we might remember, we might not remember. But they do the work, and they find a small group, and they say, I'm going to get plugged in. They're intentional. They build relationships. And I get to watch every Sunday when they walk through the back of the door, and somebody else pops up like popcorn and goes to them like, there's my new friend. It's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to see. Or somebody's going through a difficult situation in life, and they just say, hey, will you pray for me? I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better than that. I'll put it out to the group that you're in, and they'll pray for you. Community matters. Are you feeling, church? So you're here today, and you're like, man, I, just, I think I identify more with the man on the mat. I've got needs. I've got brokenness, and I'm worried people will push me away if they know the real me. Can I just tell you, that's what community is supposed to look like. We're all broken, but we love each other anyways. So make yourself available. Pray for those kinds of friends. Or do you, like in the story, represent the rest of the crowd? There were a lot of people there that day. There were some that were just simply curious. They're looking around. The curious crowd is looking at what's going on, and they're just seeing what Jesus is up to next, what's going on above them. And they were just curious, and they were content with just standing by and watching. Many people are like that today. They're like, hey, I just want to come and check things out, and I'm good with just standing by and watching. That's the curious crowd. And then there's the critical crowd. The critical crowd is the community that blocks the way. And this might be the person that was at the door saying, I'm not giving up my spot so you can get in. I worked hard to get to this spot. I, I see Jesus, and I don't want to give that up for you because you obviously did something wrong. That's why you're in the condition. You're, that's the critical community. And today it might look like this. People are so focused on form and function and how we do what we do that they miss the greater need of the people that Jesus still wants to have encounters with. 
The critical community blocks the way. And then there's the caring community, and that's what I think represents these four men. The caring community carries others to Jesus. See, that's, for me, what I I long for here at Living Water. As the church continues to grow, just that we're intentional to grow inwardly like these circles. I, I love what God's doing. Don't get me wrong. I love that it's growing. That's so awesome to watch. But what I love even more is to see people just engage and, and grow together in community and fellowship. Community matters. And so how, how do we build that kind of community? Uh, I'm going to give you three things quickly. Be intentional. you got to be intentional. You, you can't come to church after the music starts and leave before the sermon or the, the, you know, the dismissal. We've had people like that before said, I, I'm going to quit going to your church because it's not friendly. And, and, and I knew these people, and I was like going, hey, listen, it's really difficult for me to hear that when I know that you come in late and you leave before anybody has a chance to be friendly to you. So I need to encourage you to just come a little earlier, stay a little late, give us the opportunity. We're going to miss it from time to time, but give us the opportunity. Be intentional. Hang out. Meet someone new. Find a smaller group. There are small groups in this church Look on the website, like how do I get involved in men's ministry, women's ministry? I want to connect with someone. I need this connection in my life. I believe life really happens in these smaller groups. Quality life happens there. I would say not only you be intentional, you be vulnerable. To be vulnerable means that you got to put yourself out there. you got to risk it. Now, I would not encourage this to the masses. Uh, I've got a few friends in my life that I will share everything and anything with them. I'm not scared to share that. They're trustworthy. I can just lay it all out. Here's what I struggle with. And I know that sometimes it helps them and sometimes I know they're praying for me or if I'm having a bad day, I can hang out with friends and go, can I just be like in a blah mood? I have to put a smile on as the pack. Can I just be like, yep, we know you, we love you. And we realize that everybody has those days, right? But you have to be vulnerable. You got to be willing to just be who you are and let people see who you are. It's risky, but I would say it's worth it to develop those kind of relationships. And I would simply say, be there. Be there. Be available. Be there for others. Put yourself in positions where those, are, are gonna, those connections can happen. Um, and here's what I would say about this, because I know some people think, well, I don't really need the church corporately. And I would get why they say that. Some have been hurt by church. Some feel like it's not relevant to them. We don't we never teach them what they need to hear or whatever. And so for whatever reason, they say, I just really don't need the fellowship. I mean, I'm cool with worshiping in my car. And you can do that. You can listen to some of the best preachers in this world on your phone today. But there's something to be said about fellowship. And that warning, do not forsake the assembling of the saints together, as some are in the habit of doing. We need to be together. And so I would say, be there. Listen to this quote by John Wesley, because I think it drives it home. You must find companions or make them. You must find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. There's a lot of verses in the New Testament that tell us that we do life together. Amen? Life together. So here's a question. When it comes to community, do you see the importance, the significance of community? I hope you do. For this man, he would absolutely stand up and testify today. I'm here because of community that was around me. They cared enough. They, they loved me enough to not walk around me. They picked up a corner of my mat, and they brought me to Jesus, and my life has changed because of them. There's power in community. I am grateful for the community that I have in this church, and hopefully you don't take that for granted either. 
But I would just issue a challenge to all of us that would be a little more intentional to say, you know what, how can I just get more, I'm talking about more busy, right? There's another day i got to be at the church. That's all I'm talking about, relationships. How do we develop those relationships so that we're doing life together and I've got those kind of friends carrying my mat and I'm carrying their mat? I think that would be a beautiful picture in our church. What would it look like? What would it look like if you had that kind of relationships in the body of Christ? Not just in living water, but all around. I think it would be very powerful to be a part of and to witness. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, just the challenge for all of us and how important our community is to us. Lord, we have to admit that sometimes we can be comfortable just with our own families, our own blood. Uh, we don't like to just put ourselves out there and, and invite new people in. It's, it's just something that we're not comfortable doing. But we see the value, Lord, in, in nurturing and creating and developing these this circles of community in our lives. Lord, and I thank you for showing us a story of this man who was 100% dependent upon other people to get him at your feet. And we know that, uh, that that's where you have the encounter and you impact lives. And, and Father, I pray that I would put myself in a position personally that I allow people into my life to carry my mat, to see the big ugly and love me anyways. But I pray, God, that I wouldn't miss the opportunity also to pick up a corner of someone else's mat and to do the work Lord, to requ- that is required sometimes, the hard work, to get them into your presence and to have their lives changed uh, because you are a life-changing God. We talked last week about we're the hands and the feet. You still are encountering people, and you do it through us. Would you just build within us this sense of urgency or importance of just what community should be in our own personal lives and the effect that that would have in a church, the effect that that would have in the greater community that we live? God, we want to know you more. We want to encounter you, and we want to bring people with us. And so, God, would you please... Just help us to take whatever step we need to take. Maybe for some, it's just putting themselves out there, introducing them to somebody new. Maybe for some, it's getting involved in a Bible study, walking into that group for the first time. can be so overwhelming, intimidating, but I pray that you would give them the courage to take that step. But Lord, for all of us to see the need to surround ourselves with people who love us enough to drop us right in the middle of where you're at, to put us at your feet. Father, we love you and we thank you that you are a, a Jesus that's interruptible, That as you're preaching the word, you see the need, you met the need. But God, I thank you for seeing our greatest need, the need of being made right with your Father through the gospel. And I pray, God, that everyone in this room has placed their faith in the gospel. But if not, that today would be the day that they would trust in you for salvation. But whatever step we need to take today, I ask that you would just give us the courage to take that step. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you.